Nobody's right if everybody's wrong. Young people speak in their minds. Are getting so much resistance from behind. Time we stop. I'm C.J. Layton coming to you from inside the Phantom Radio Studio, home of the premier radio bowling talk show. Long ago, Bowler's Journal International called Phantom Radio a pioneer in the field of bowling podcasts because the show is regularly scheduled at the same time each week. PBA Hall of Famer Len Nicholson started the show in 2002. Since then, he's recorded over 1,100 shows featuring over 400 different guests, a literal who's who in bowling. So, Phantom fans, let's welcome our host, Len Nicholson, the Phantom. Well, thank you, CJ. And a reminder that Phantom Radio is presented by the Cagle Company, the number one lane maintenance company in the world for all of your lane maintenance needs, including 24-hour technical support. You can always rely on the Cagle Company. So, go to Kegel.net. Well, Phantom fans, this week's guest has been here with us many times, and you're all very familiar with his outstanding bio and career. He's a former Team USA member and was selected to the top 50 all-time greatest players in PBA history. He's in the USBC and PBA Hall of Fame. So here is Barry Asher. Hello, Barry, and Welcome back to the show. Hi, Phantom. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Pards. I'm, I'm really excited because we've been doing some shows uh, with some past PBA greats, and I know that you were very well connected and friends with a great player, Billy Waylu. Um, what was your very first memory of Billy? Well, let's see. I think the first, the first memory I had of Billy was when Esther Woods, who was a, a great teacher, an AMF staff member like uh, like Billy, they were really good friends. And uh, Esther was trying to teach a 10-year-old or 9-year-old how to bowl. And we had a nice house in Encino, a nice swimming pool. And Billy and Esther and her husband, Jack, uh, came over to the house. And I, I guess we probably had a barbecue or dinner. But I remember, you know, Billy coming over, hanging out by our pool. And uh, it was probably later on the same day or weekend that Billy bowled the Harry Grant's tournament at Victory Bowl in Van Nuys, and I kept score for him, and uh, he won the uh, won the tournament. Wow. So it, it, you were like, you said, nine or ten years old at that time? Yeah, I was. So did he start helping you with your game, or did you ever go to him with it, or how'd that all start? No. Not really, but you know, he just he, he just he gave me advice, not so much instruction, but things that that you picked up on as uh, as my career, you know, got got a little better of how I how I warmed up and how I watched the, how I saw things, how I saw the ball go down the lane, what it what it did at certain parts of the lane, and I see that a lot in the two handers today. I see Kyle Troop and and Anthony Simonson and Belmo. I see how, how their ball crispy. They're really, really good at, at watching the ball go down the lane, adjusting their speed, and just warming up the pro- – I think warming up the proper way is what I really got from Billy. You know, that's the one thing I've been impressed by several things in my life, 
but that was the one thing that really stood out to me. Uh, I used to watch you warm up, and you'd come out with your sweater on, you'd throw the ball about one mile an hour, and I thought, man, this guy's really cold. His fingers must be locked up. He, he can't even get out of his way. And then you stand there and watch it, and you do that for maybe four or six of your warm-up shots. And you know what? You were you were playing the lane, not so much the oil pattern. And I thought, man, this guy is so far advanced, I can't believe it. And we talked about that, and you said, yeah, I wanted to watch the ball reaction. And I'd never seen anybody else do that until, like you say, modern times. That was amazing, yeah. Forrest. It was just it was just something that the guys, you know, Harry Smith, who you did the you know the show on, and they were all teammates, Buzz, Harry, Glenn Allison, and and you you pick up you pick up things from them, and hopefully you know some guys can pick up things from me. And I watched I, I saw two handed camp this week for one day, and they were amazing. It was absolutely amazing what what they do. <laughs> but uh, getting back to Billy, I think Billy was, you know, he was special. He was, you know, he was the first voice of the PBA with Chris Shankle. And people liked his down home Southern accent and his, you know, tr- talking about Pete Townis tripping the four. And if you don't like that, you don't like chicken on Sunday and, and th- things <laughs> he did. And, uh, you know, but, but his career was, his career was really, really pretty brief. But I remember Nelson Burton Jr. When we, you know, we travel a lot together, and he told me that he said for a period of time of about two years, let's say '59 on, that Billy was probably Billy was as good as Carter and Weber and and Harry Smith. And the fact the fact would be that in 1959, Billy wins the the All Star, the National Match Game, hundred game tournament, and averaged like about 210 for 100 games. And runner up was Ray Bluth that year, and that the, the tour started and Billy, Billy bowled people pretty regular for a few years. I think 50, 59, I've got some stats here. He was fourth on the money list and 12th and eighth and 13th and fifth and 63, 15th and 64. And then he kind of, he just kind of dropped out and just did his come in, do his, do his color work bowl occasionally. But uh, in 64 and 65, he won the ABC Masters back-to-back years. I think the only other guy, maybe Belmo's done it now, but uh, Dick Hoover had done it, who was a teammate of Billy's. And so, you know, then there were four-game matches, double elimination in the first year. 64 was in, I think, Oakland. He beat Harry Smith. He averaged like 227. And that was the first year I bowled the ABC. The next year was in St. Paul, and it was, uh, you know, uh, it was brutal. Uh, he won the Masters. He went nine and one and averaged two oh two. Wow! <laughs> so you know that, that's how that's how hard they were. But uh, you know, there, there's there's you won a couple of PBA titles: Indianapolis '62, Phoenix in '64, and uh, but it, as far as his it just he was just a, a special person that that left us too soon he was if you believe the the the, the years that said he was born in 32 i remember him dying in 74 and so that would have made him 41 but you know everybody swore billy lied about his age because sometimes they got him listed as being born in 36 <laughs> yeah he he was one of the smartest guys i was able to meet him 
In fact, he was born a little bit in the early 70s. And uh, I'll never forget, uh, we had a tournament in New Orleans, and they brought in a busload of kids that couldn't uh, hear. They were deaf. And, you know, it was kind of uncomfortable for some of the bowlers. They didn't want to uh, be, bowl with them in the Pro-Am. And Billy says, well, bring them all down here. He's not, uh, <clears throat> I'll, I'll bowl with them. So he brought the whole group, maybe 40 kids, down to the high end. And he was out there having a great time. And you know what? He was doing sign language with them. And I thought to myself, holy mackerel, this guy, he knows everything. And I found out he knew four or five languages, sign language. And he was just an unbelievable guy, man. He was a brilliant man. I think he I think he went to SMU. And I guess he was from uh, from Houston originally, and and he he was super smart, super super good businessman. His dad, who I you know knew really well, and his stepmom watched me win my last title. But uh, it uh, he he was just uh, he was a treasure. He really was. He was funny as hell. I mean, my he, God. I mean, you can, he you, was he was witty. You told, yeah. yeah. You you told stories of Pelican Lanes, what a you know beautiful palace that was. <laughs> you know, so you could tell. I think what was it? You left a cup under lanes five and six, and the next year it was there, or maybe something like that. Yeah, well, I was showing Lichstein how dirty it was in the back ends, and he says, "What do you mean?" So I went back there and I put my initials in the dirt that was right on the in the flat gutters underneath the fin setters. And went back the next year. My initials were still there. They they never used the dust mop or nothing. <laughs> what a place! I remember the snack bar was the snack bar was right on the concourse, and I was sitting there with Billy having breakfast or something. And so uh, the, the customer service guy or somebody was you know the carpet was you know let, let's to say the least was ready for the garbage can, but the guy had a big roll of masking tape or duct tape, and he was taping the carpet down and. Billy made a comment about, you know, the interior decorating that was going on while we were having breakfast. <laughs> yeah. The, the thing that was, uh, besides everything else, was really impressive about him was he was like the biggest guy out there, too. But he was so graceful. He was at least 6'4", right? He was, he was yeah, graceful. Yeah, says he was like yeah, 6'4", 6'5", 220, had a little figure eight beautiful balance i mean it great balance and uh he was he was he was fun to watch you could you could youtube him you could find him on some old championship bowling shows and some of me probably whacked him pretty good but uh he was a uh, he he was just it was fun to watch i remember the first year i bowled the firestone 67 his first time i crossed like a, two pairs from billy and he came out and the first four games, they were pretty, they were pretty nice. Remember, you know, there weren't patterns. There weren't, you know, a ball rep was with changing balls there every, you know, every game or two. So the first, I remember the first four games distinct, distinctly. He goes 269, 269, 259, 300. Oh. So 48 shots, he had 42 strikes. And so out of the, six shots he didn't strike i remember two of them were solid eights and two of them were solid sevens and maybe wow. he had a maybe he had 
maybe he had three solid eights, and maybe, but I don't think he had like maybe one ring and ten. The ball <laughs> never hit the spot to leave a ring and ten. But Billy being Billy, that night he came out and was trying to fudge a full roller up the up the track, which the track wasn't there. The oil moved left, and Billy was just kind of going through you know, going through the motions. But that that was Billy. He'd come out, and it was it was just always a pleasure when he came out just to bowl a tournament, just to watch him in the in the paddock, and he'd get done bowling, and he'd take the right guard and spray it up in the air and dance around it. We call it the, the Billy Waylu right guard dance. <laughs> yeah you mentioned that you had a bunch of sayings and all that uh the one i remember the best and i'm not sure he made it up but i never never went to a bowling alley i didn't hear it somewhere hit him thin and watch him spin yeah that was that was his key. yeah i kind of that one kind of slipped my mind that that was his that was his saying yeah, but he was too uh, much you know, and what you know, listeners don't don't realize is that you know you've heard all the great stories of the Budweiser team, and Billy was one of the first. I was on the first Budweiser team, and I think he got went in the service for two years, and then they picked up uh, some guy named Hennessy and a skinny guy from Indianapolis named Weber, and that was that. But Billy <laughs> was the Falstaff team. But I think really in something more important than all his credentials were what he gave back to the sport. And I think maybe, maybe to this day, they still have a Billy Whaler scholarship. I'm not sure, but it started in 1983 and it ran for, for many, many decades of, uh, for, you know, how, how much it was, I, it might've been a thousand dollars or something, but it was the idea that it was named after the great Billy Whaler. Yeah, he was he was too much, you know. Being a lane man, you know, I was in the background a lot, but I was always watching, seeing what was going on, and I would see Billy come in and and, and talk to the lane man, and talk to the janitor, have his arm around him, and then the proprietor would come in, and Billy was talking to him, and then the sponsors were there, he was talking to them, and then it, right. and eventually he started doing the TV show. He was comfortable with everybody. He was just he, one heck of a gentleman. He ne- and he never forgot a name. Ever. It was just, he had that uncanny ability, that memory of just not not forgetting any names. Yep. Yep. So, pretty cool. I think, go ahead. I'm just going to say, you know, there was one thing that, uh, that my old buddy Billy Hardwick used to tell me about Billy Waylu, he says, you know, Billy Waylu, he became very successful because he never hung around the bar. He would go in there once in a while, but when everybody else was in the bar having a good time, Billy was talking to the sponsors and he was talking yep. to all the big shots, uh, you know, uh, passing along all of his goodwill. Uh, and that was another thing that helped the PBA succeed. Well, he was a huge ambassador and he, People really don't know because we're talking about the 60s. We're talking about uh, unrest in our country, especially in the South and and places like that or or in the big cities, Detroit, Chicago. Billy's influence in the black community is unparalleled, especially for his time. Because I remember I'd be bowling the Friday night, uh, the finals a lot of times, and 
a lot of people would come in and ask if you know Billy was going to be there, and uh, he would go he'd go into the into the ghettos, he'd go into Detroit, Chicago, and was great friends with. He introduced me to Jay Wilbur Sims, who uh, actually he finished second in one of the first telecasts in the in the PBA. He was a huge influence. His his friendships with Muhammad Ali, Fats Domino, uh, the uh, the Supremes, the Motown groups was was unparalleled, especially for its time. And uh, people don't they don't know the influence that, that Billy had. Yeah, that was huge, no question about it. Well, Pards, I'm looking at the old clock in the wall. We got a minute or so left. Uh, you got any last minute things you want to mention about Billy or or anything? I know you're still giving lessons, and that was one thing that. He didn't do, you know, all, all the time, but he would pass along knowledge and information to some of his buddies out there. So what do you got to say? Um, re- really not much to add to that, uh, to, to Billy, to to just just to be able to talk about him for a few brief minutes with you is uh, pretty special to me. And so people can understand that, you know, when you win the all-star, you win two masters, that's three majors right there. And when you're the captain of the, you know, arguably the second best team in the world for all those years and the friendships of the people that he knew and how he befriended me as a little boy. And, and that, and that was, that was just Billy Waylou in a nutshell. Uh, I gotta, I gotta say besides your parents' parts, he was probably one of the guys that was most influential of making you have the class that you got. And unfortunately, you know, as I'm looking around, you know, you're one of the old timers now. I still think of you as a kid watching you bowl. But, you know, going back and talking about all these old timers, I'm looking at the list besides you and Salvino. There's not many guys left, Bard, so you better keep keep taking care of yourself. Craglia and... uh... You know, we're we're kind of out there on your show because you can see us. But other than that, I mean, the guys, Buckley's gone now. Tommy Baker's still with us and still bowling some. But Salvino, Car- Carmen's going to be 88 in a couple of months. So, you know, he's down he's a little bit. But uh, as long as I'm able to talk to you, I'm I'm there at the calling any any time. But I, I, I like I said, I watched. I've watched these two-handed kids bowl, and I watched them bowl a lot. And I I saw the clinic that Mark did this week. And it takes me back to my time when, when, when a Billy Waylu or somebody would offer their advice to me, just not so much as bowling and tech, technology or not. Te- there was no technology, but as far as the game, but just talk about the game yeah. and all that this, this week uh, with, with Simonson and Troop and Vi and Chris Sloan from Ireland, the job they did with 30, 36 and most of them were kids. At 12-year-olds at this clinic that Mark Baker put together, it was phenomenal. The parents were great. So, you know, it all goes back to back in the day when you had the, the Billy Waylus out there doing doing their exhibitions with the Falstaffs and then and the Budweiser guys. So they don't have the exhibitions anymore, but now they've got camps. And it's a, it's to me, it's a spinoff of the exhibition days of the beer teams. Yeah, for sure. All right, Pards, well... Fan of fans, the old clock and wall tells me we are out of time, and I can't believe how quickly the time flies on this show, and that's probably why they say it's the fastest show in all of sports, but I hope you all enjoyed it. 
and you enjoyed hearing from Barry Asher. We look forward to talking to all of you again next week. We'll have yet another interesting show talking to you with. And also, a shout out to our good friends that take care of us, Storm Bowling Products and Brad Edelman, for their valued and continued support of our show. Also, our newest sponsor, Dave Kowalski, with Auto Value and Bumper to Bumper Auto Parts Stores. He's also the past president of the Michigan High School Coaches Bowling Association. So for Phantom Radio, this is the Phantom. When you're down and troubled and you need some loving care and nothing, well, nothing is going right. Close your eyes and think of me and soon I will be